Welcome to Belong in the USA podcast. I am your host, Sabrina Teichman. Belong in the USA is a podcast that explores identity in the United States through the experiences of immigrants and first-generation Americans. This is Season 1, Episode 2. Season 1 is focused entirely on the infamous question, where are you from, which is all too often asked without even thinking, sometimes out of genuine curiosity and other times as a microaggression. If you've ever been frustrated by the question, where are you from, or even if you haven't really thought that much about the question, you're really going to enjoy this season. If you love the stories and conversations on Belong in the USA as much as I do, leave a review, subscribe, and share this episode. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Belong in USA. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Joining me today as a special guest on Belong in the USA is Joanna Shin, who immigrated to the United States as a child from South Korea and had a lot to share about her experience with the question, where are you from? So whether you are lounging in your favorite spot or taking a stroll around the block, I want you to leave your worries and most importantly, your preconceived notions behind. Happy listening. Joanna, I, I think I probably asked you this question when I first met you, actually, now that I think about it. Where are you from? Yeah, so I was born in South Korea, but I immigrated to the Washington, D.C. area when I was eight and have been here since. So really from Korea and then also D.C. Do you feel any certain way when I ask you that question or when sort of people ask, ask it to you in general? Yeah, usually whenever somebody asks that question, they have a certain tone or a certain look. And so back in my mind, I think, oh, here we go again. Usually I say I'm from DC. And they ask, but where are your parents from? Or, but where are you really from? Better yet, where, what are you? I've gotten that one before. We've actually had a similar experience with this question. I kind of want to know, it, it really bothers me when people ask me, where are you from? because I similarly feel that it comes with this connotation or a look. Do, do you feel that way too? Yeah, for sure. Especially growing up, I got that question a lot, followed up with konnichiwa, ni hao, and I'm Korean. So konnichiwa is Japanese and ni hao is Chinese. And so I've gotten that growing up, but I kid you not, I've gotten that in workplaces too. Wow. How often have you been asked this question, would you say? Like, just a ballpark. A lot more growing up because I grew up in a predominantly white community and I was definitely the minority of the minority. As I've gotten older, not so much, except these rare cases I do at, at work. I actually was asked this last Friday, <laughs> but it hadn't been a while. It, it, it had been a while since I've, I've been asked that question. So I kind of chuckled when when that person asked me. But yeah, a lot more when I was younger, time to time. So that's kind of an interesting thing you've just said, feeling like because you grew up in a predominantly white area and you were the minority of the minorities, you feel like you were asked it more. That's kind of interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So really, when I told folks that I was from Korea, their next question would be, oh, what is Korea? And then I would have to tell them on the map, it's, it's the country that looks like McDonald's chicken nugget on the right. And it's divided uh, North and South Korea. 
And, and for whatever reason, they, they knew North Korea and they would ask, oh, are you from North Korea? They would just ask me all these questions. I'll be like, no, just let's, let's drop it here. I don't know. Like it, it's, it's just a, a little bizarre to me. People don't ask that anymore or not as much because I feel like Korean, like Korean beauty um, or K-pop has really soared um, in the recent decades. And people are familiar with Korean cuisine, but not so much when I was growing up. It's interesting that because it became trendy to eat Korean food and use Korean beauty, people started learning about where Korea was. How does that make you feel as an American? Yeah, you know, at first I didn't believe it. I, I forget what year it was when Gangnam Style really blew up. And I remember walking into one of my colleagues' offices one day and she had her headphones on and she was practicing the Gangnam Style dance, like secretly in her office. And then she and I locked eyes and she, we just bursted laughing. <laughs> and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed, but I'm trying to learn the Gangnam Style dance. And I think like, I just couldn't believe it because all my life I grew up having to explain that Korea was this McDonald's chicken nugget looking country. And here I am seeing people trying on K-beauty, listening to K-pop, knowing more songs and singers than I do at this point. And so, yeah, it's, it's overwhelming, um, but overwhelming, I think in a good way that I don't have to necessarily explain to others um, where I'm from anymore, but people are you know, more curious about where I am from genuinely. And do you feel like people that you know or, or, or knew have made you sort of the unofficial spokesperson for Korean culture once it became popular? Hmm, that's a really good question. So I, I think in a way, right, like when I'm in a group conversation and they want Korean food, they'll say, hey, Johanna, where should I go? I'm like, and sometimes in a it's in a location that I'm not familiar with. And let's say, you know, I'm in Chicago visiting a friend and then another friend would say, hey, Johanna, what, sh what should we eat? I want Korean food. And I'll be like, hey, I just got here too. <laughs> so in that sense, yeah, for sure. How often have you been back to Korea since you moved to the United States when you were eight? Oh, man, I think I've been back once every 10 years. Wow. So not even that frequently. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, which is why it's it's hard for me to keep up with all the K-pop songs and the new singers and how everyone, it seems like they know a lot more or other folks know it a lot more than I do. It's hard to be the unofficial spokesperson for a country when you haven't been in a decade, right? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. So, you know, I, I think my next question is really, ask people where are you from and if so why have you asked the question yourself I generally don't ask where are you from questions I do ask where are you located when I talk to my colleagues or clients from different parts of the country because I know you know weather is a big factor in in people and how we communicate and, and connect and then also to understand their time zones so that I ask where are you located but I usually don't ask where are you from so it sounds to me like you you sort of inherently already think there's a better way to, to ask someone a question to figure out, you know, where they're from without using those words about themselves when you first meet them. 
if it's out of genuine curiosity, because I do think oftentimes that the question is asked that way, despite, despite the way that it makes a lot of us feel. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, sure thing. I think people can be a bit more specific when asking the question, where are you from? By saying, where were you born? Or where did you, where did you grow up? Or what is your nationality? Or let's see, like what culture do you identify with? You know, I think there are, there are better ways of asking um, than a blanket question of where are you from? Because especially in America, you know, we come from all over the world really. And I mean, Sabrina, I, I think you and I just chatted about this recently, but the folks that are really from America are the Native Americans. So really the more detailed you can be in asking the question, I think the better. So sort of the last question I want to ask you is going back to the, the sort of follow-up questions you've gotten sometimes when you've responded to where are you from, especially the, well, where are you really from? What does that, what does it make you feel when you're asked that? Because it, it must make you really feel like you don't belong. Yeah, it, to me, it really feels like they are ready to respond differently based on the response that I give like they're they're preparing themselves mentally you know to say oh if I if I say you know Korea they're gonna either I mean 99% of the time they usually talk about some sort of Chinese food that I should know about or a Japanese place that they've been to or nowadays you know a Korean singer that they they really like you know, BTS, it comes up. Yeah, it just makes me feel, you know, like I said before, I've been to Korea every once every 10 years. And so I, identi I identify myself a lot more as Korean American than I do Korean. And the cultural um, contrast between Korean Americans and Koreans are also very, very, very big. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, it just makes me feel, hmm, okay, I guess this person is a little bit out of touch. And so as soon as people know that I speak Korean, they automatically assume that I am like 100% from just Korea, which is also not true. You know, my first job was a linguist. That's why I can speak Korean. <laughs> but also the idea that because you speak other languages well or frequently means that you're, you know, not from America or not American, I think is, um, is just ridiculous, especially since it's a core requirement in a lot of education systems across the country to take a second language. And so oh, yeah. it's, you know, when you think about it, it's, it's sort of strange that that's some of the reaction that people oh, have. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone from, or everyone outside of America speak at least, or speaks at least two or three languages. I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I I think that is probably one of the biggest distinctions in my mind between um, the United States of America and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It's, yep. It's so true. I think this is a really good way of promoting just culture in general, especially in America and where we think America is so cultured. And where we think, you know, we embrace all cultures, we embrace everybody. I think this hopefully um, highlights some of the, you know, darker parts of that.
our, our, our culture. And I'm really glad because this is something that I've been wrestling with this season, especially with Asian American Pacific Islander hate crime, like again, hate crimes against the AAPIs have gone up 1900% in this season because, because the previous administration, you know, blamed the AAPI or really the Chinese community for the pandemic. Okay, I think it's time for a fact check. Over to you, Natalia. Hi, everyone. This is Natalia, and I'm back with the fact check for this episode. To start, Johanna and Sabrina refer to the United States and U.S. citizens as America and American. This podcast wants to do a better job of being accurate and describing where people are and or where they're from. So this may come up a couple times in our episodes because colloquially and I think in the systems we live in, U.S. citizens often refer to the U.S. as America, when in reality, the Americas makes up a whole hemisphere and has over 20 different countries and nationalities who are technically speaking all American. So when it does slip out, we will make a very conscious effort to hold ourselves accountable. For the second part of this fact check, I want to give a trigger warning. I will be discussing the rise in anti-Asian and Pacific Islander hate crimes in the U.S. in the past year. So Johanna had mentioned that AAPI hate crimes had gone up 1,900%, and I did some more research. So in 2019, the FBI hate crime report reported 158 incidents of anti-Asian hate. To compare to now, Stop Stop Asian American Pacific Islander Hate is a new organization that has come up to document hate crimes since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And they have received 3,795 incidents since the beginning of COVID-19 till right now in 2021. And this is a 2,301 increase from 2019. I use the FBI hate crime resource for 2019 and then the Stop AAPI hate report for 2020 and 2021. I want to acknowledge the biases that the organizations may have. Again, with the FBI, there could be underreporting because there's a lack of trust between the community and the U.S. government. And Stop AAPI may also have underrepresented resources because not every incident is always reported and people may not come forward or want to post publicly about an incident that had happened to them. I just want to remind everyone that when you're doing your research and you're collecting data to always look at your source and what biases those could have. Johanna also mentioned a hate crime against an 85-year-old Thai grandfather in San Francisco, Vichka Ratan Pakti, who was pushed against concrete and killed for his race. When I'm recording this fact check, there has been even more anti-Asian American hate crimes. Most recently in Atlanta, we saw a white terrorist go into a spa and kill eight people, six of them being women of Asian descent. After this tragic event occurred, we saw the police officer at the press conference describe the hate crime as a bad day for the white terrorist. Again, showing how not only have we allowed these hate crimes to persist, but the attitudes we have to those who are committing them and even the language we use when discussing murder of minorities in this country. Now for the past two episodes, I've had to look up FBI hate crime statistics and talk about pretty violent experiences to show the correlation of the language we use and 
the negative consequences and deathly consequences that can occur. Again, all my sources will be linked in the podcast. And I want to plug again, the work Stop AAPI Hate is doing, collecting the data so we can have these conversations and, and then do the work to change the systems we're living in. I will also add links to organizations that you donate to if you have the resources who are combating Asian American hate in the US. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. More after the break. I really enjoyed my conversation with Joanna. I think it reminded me a lot about feelings I've had about the question, where are you from? So it just made me feel not so alone in the thinking. Sometimes I've thought maybe I am misinterpreting somebody's look or tone when they've asked me the question and sort of hearing someone else has had a very similar experience makes me feel a little bit like Maybe in a lot of those instances, they did have a tone or a look. I think what I especially liked was she brought up several instances and examples of situations in the workplace and in her professional life. So we're not just talking about experiences with this question growing up in in school, but also how it has continued to happen in her professional experience as well. There's this, you know, significant movement going on in the United States to not only add chief diversity officers, but also do diversity training. And at, at a really basic level, it, it seems to me, and, and Joanna brought up a couple different examples of just thinking through how we're speaking to each other at work, how we're learning about our colleagues or even the interpretations that we're making about what we assume their culture is just based on the way they look could be really simple ways that don't necessarily require extensive training to just create a better environment for everyone. She brought up a lot of really good alternatives to asking the question, where are you from? Where are you located? Where are you born? Where did you grow up? These are all really easy ways to talk to someone and start a conversation, especially in the workplace, that you know are not necessarily going to lead them to feel out of place or that they have to defend where they're from. I I think that was something that she also brought up. People who've asked her, what are you? I, I don't know how anyone could have anything positive to say to the question, what are you? So why don't we just all go ahead and stop using that question? Um, I, I've gotten it before and it, it's horrible. It's it's just, to me, the lowest form of, of communication. Um, I continued to talk to Joanna about some other topics and there was one particular one that while it's not necessarily directly related to the question, where are you from? I think it's really important to share this story that she has, and it's about the question, what is your name? So let's hear a little bit more about that from her. I have had a lot of names in my life. 
And that's like another story because no one could say my name growing up. My name is Hyunjin Shen. That's my, or my name is now Johanna Yi. I, I got my official name change done after I got mar married, but no one could say my name and they would always butcher it. Like they would say Hyun, Hyun. And I'm like, it's like Hyun as in Hyundai, Jin as in gin and tonic. You can say Hyundai perfectly and gin and tonic perfectly. Just add them together. Um, and so actually before Labor Day, you know, because school would usually start the day after Labor Day, I would wake up and say, oh, man, school's about to start. What should my name be this year? And literally come up with a new name every school year. I kid you not. And wow. so there are some of my classmates that call me, that still call me Isabella, because I went by Isabella one year. Um, I went by Jenny one year. I went by Joanna, um, you know, Joe, I, I mean, Jin, like I have, so, I have, so, I have, I've had so many names. And then I finally landed on Johanna um, when I started working. And, and that's just been the name I, I stuck around since because I was like, I can't change my name anymore. Everyone knows me like my, my <laughs> how am I supposed to call up references when they're going to say, I don't know who Joanna is, but I know Isabella, like I can't do that. So I stuck with, you know, Johanna since, but yeah, I've had a lot of names because people couldn't say my name growing up and that just frustrated me. With all of the stress of starting a new school year, uh, we've, we've all gone through that, right? Mm -hmm. Elementary, middle, high school, every year there's new challenges. And the fact that at a most basic level, you had to think about just your name is crazy to me that, oh, yeah. that, because that you had to experience that like here I mean, in America. It, it actually came um, from this one incident why, why I decided to change my name so often because I, I had entered like a competition um, and they, it was like my turn to go up on stage. And they said, and I am so happy to welcome, you know, Hyun Jin Shin, please welcome him to the stage. <laughs> And, and, you know, like, especially when you're getting ready for a competition, you just need your mind, like mental uh, mind in the game. And then as soon as he said, please welcome him to the stage, I like forgot everything, I was, what I was going to do or what I was going to perform. And then that moment I decided I'm going to change my name. Wow. Thank you for sharing this with us. If you loved the stories and conversations on Belong in the USA as much as I did, don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and share this episode, but also check us out on Instagram at Belong in USA. Until next time, this is Sabrina signing off.